Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. A Christian can be sleeping and totally unaware of anything that is happening around them. That's why they're startled and stunned and surprised. To the lateness of the hour, the urgency of the times in which we live. Paul, writing to the Romans, chapter 13, says, basically, Wake up! You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians. The Bible clearly states that the return of the Lord is imminent. It also clearly states that we do not know the time or the hour. In today's message, Pastor J.D. loosely translates the Apostle Paul's words as, Wake up! In a spiritual sense, you don't want to be sleeping when the Lord returns. Be ready and eager for His arrival. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our text today will be verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica and by the Holy Spirit says, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, or peace and security, it's the Greek word asphalia, same word, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief, You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, verse 6, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet, interesting to protect the heart and the mind. For God, verse 9, did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, verse 11, 
encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Okay. (laughs) So I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but today's text is one that I've really been looking forward to for quite some time now. I know I say that about every passage of Scripture every week, but in particular this week, this passage that we have before us today is such that I believe God today is going to break through, if I can say it that way, into our lives, speak into our lives concerning the importance of Bible prophecy. What I want to talk about today is why it is that teaching Bible prophecy is of paramount importance, even to new believers. And here's why I say that. It's striking to me, and we've talked about this before, it's striking to me that Paul writing this letter to this church, by the way, his first epistle that he ever wrote was to the Thessalonian church. And he was only there for, it's believed, maybe about three weeks, maybe at the most a month before he was ran out of town. And it seems that while he was there for that short period of time, he taught them Bible prophecy. That's striking to me. And we know this because of the account that we have, the record that we have in the book of Acts. And we also know that he taught them Bible prophecy in that short period of time as a new church, as new believers, because he starts by saying, you already know this. You already know this because I already taught you this. And you already know this because when I was with you, I taught you about the rapture of the church and Bible prophecy. And these were new believers. I point this out because the teaching of Bible prophecy is part of, I would say, a big part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would argue that the very first mention of the gospel came by way of a prophecy in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, often referred to as the Proto-Evangelicum, meaning it was the gospel in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, where God declares that there will come this seed of the woman. That's the virgin birth. That's a prophecy of the virgin birth, because women do not have the seed, men do. Women have the egg. The seed of a woman, the virgin birth, a prophecy, will crush 
the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel. That's the crucifixion. But he will crush his head. That is the first mention. And for those students of Bible prophecy, it's the principle of the first mention, and it comes by way of a prophecy, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's Bible prophecy. One of the things as a teacher of God's Word, going through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, you're not going to get away with not talking about Bible prophecy, because well nigh one-third of the Bible is prophecy. So, I mean, if, if, if you're wanting to stay away from teaching Bible prophecy, God forbid, but you got to take your Bible and start ripping pages out of it, like a lot, because a third of the Bible is prophecy. I found three reasons in our text today, you might find more, but I found three that to me speak to the importance of Bible prophecy. And the first one is in verses 1 through 3, and it's that of being ready. Here Paul likens the Lord's return to a thief in the night. Yes, this is an idiom, but he says that the Lord's return will be as a thief in the night, while people are saying two specific words, peace and security. And while they are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as a thief in the night, as a woman travailing in labor, and they will not escape. We know that verse very well. I think we do well to consider the context in which Paul says it, specifically that of how the Lord's return will be for them, not us, them as a thief in the night. This is important, and here's why. A thief is not going to call you, or text you, or email you, and say to you, hey, I'm going to rob you. I'm going to break in and rob you at 2 a.m. Is that a good time for you? Not going to happen. And because that will never happen, you always have to be ready. You always have to be prepared, because you don't know. And so too, is this true when it comes to the Lord's return? It will be for them, because they're not ready as a thief in the night, and they will be caught off guard. But not you. I don't know if you noticed as we were reading the, the text today, but Paul is very clear in delineating between they and we, them, you. <laughs> you are not like them. You are not of the day, of the night. You're of the day. You're not... <laughs> You're, you're aware of this. You're ready for this. Why? Because I taught you about this, and I told you about this. I don't even need to write to you about this, because you already know this. Well, this really dovetails and ties into our second one in verses 4 through 8. And it's that of being aware, or if you prefer, awake. This is interesting. Here, 
Paul tells them that for them, the Lord's return will not be a surprise, because they're aware, they're awake, not like those who are asleep. Different word than the word that Paul uses when he talks about the the sleep of death, those who are asleep in death. Different word here. He's talking about a spiritual sleep. The implication being that there are those who are asleep spiritually, and as such they're not awake, they're not alert, and they're not ready. Instead of being asleep spiritually, the Thessalonians were to be awake and to be alert. I was thinking about this um, actually just this morning when my alarm clock woke me up at 3.30 a.m. I hate alarm clocks. I'm so thankful there will not be alarm clocks in heaven. I try to go to bed on Saturday nights early, knowing that I need to get up early on Sunday mornings. And I fell asleep last night by the grace of God. Thank you, Lord. Uh, about 9, 9.30. And then the alarm clock woke me up at 3.30 this morning. Now, between 9.30 and 3.30, I have no idea of anything that happened while I was sleeping. I had no idea what was going on while I was sleeping. Now, I have security cameras. So in the morning when I wake up, I can, you know, look at the the cameras and say, Oh, wow. Oh, my. Oh, all of that happened while I was sleeping. Yeah. I was totally unaware of anything that was happening because I was sleeping. You see where I'm going with this, right? In the spiritual sense, a Christian can be sleeping and totally unaware of anything that is happening around them. That's why they're startled and stunned and surprised to the lateness of the hour, the urgency of the times in which we live. Paul writing to the Romans chapter 13 says basically, wake up! I just woke up a couple of people just now saying like that. Wake up from your slumber. You're you're sleeping. You're unaware of anything and everything that is happening in the world today. Our salvation draws nearer now than it ever has before. And that was 2,000 years ago. Well, come on, Pastor, that was 2,000 years ago. I know, that's what I'm saying, that was 2,000 years ago. What are you saying? I'm saying that for the last 2,000 years we've been living in the last days, for the last 2,000 years. And here's Paul saying, hey, we don't know when the Lord's going to return. Don't you find it interesting, and we talked about this a little bit last week in chapter 4, where Paul says, we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured up to meet the Lord in the air. Paul thought it was in his lifetime. We? That was Paul talking and writing, we who are alive, us, we. 
They lived with that expectancy, that anticipation that the Lord could come at any time as a thief in the night. At an hour we expect not. And they were always ready. And by the way, that is by God's design. So that we would always be watching, always be ready, always be awake, always be aware. And lastly, and this is what I want to spend the remainder of our time on, always be encouraged. Verses 9 through 11, to me, are one of the most compelling proofs of a pre-tribulation rapture. By the way, for those of you who were not here last week, you can go online uh, and the teaching was titled, Pre-Tribulation Rapture Proof. Proof. Not a theory, it's a proof. The sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. And there are many, but just in our text last week, we talked about three. And this is one of them. By virtue of how the sound doctrine of a pre-tribulation rapture builds us up and encourages us. So Paul would not say to them then and us now that you can be encouraged and encourage one another if the rapture were not before the seven-year tribulation, instead of encouraging them, he would be warning them. You better get ready. You better uh, buckle up. You better, you know, plan on surviving until the Lord comes. No, the Lord's going to come. And to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus has John, by the Holy Spirit, write a letter to this church telling them that He is going to keep them from the hour of tribulation, the seven-year tribulation that is coming upon the whole earth. And He encourages them to hold on. I know you have little strength, but just hang on, not much longer. You have kept my name. You have not denied my name, and you have kept my word. I'm going to keep you from the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the whole earth. What's he doing? He's encouraging them. Notice, Paul says, we're not only to be encouraged ourselves, but we're to encourage one another as well. And he commends them and says to them, even as you are now doing. Again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but this to me is one of the most compelling proofs of a pre-tribulation rapture. The fact that we can be encouraged and encourage one another. Hold on. Not that much longer. You know, and we saw this in chapter 4 when Paul is writing. He's writing to a battle-weary church there in Thessalonica. They were under severe and intense persecution. 
and they were asking questions which presumably Timothy brought back when Paul and Silas sent Timothy to Thessalonica, all because Paul could not go himself, though he longed to. And apparently they sent back word with with Timothy, hey, ask the Apostle Paul, what about our loved ones who have died? And that's why Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed. It's stronger in some other translations where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have died. If they died in Christ, guess what? (laughs) They're going to rise first in the bodily resurrection. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. How encouraging is that? Especially for those of us who have lost loved ones. I think about my daughter, Noelle. I cannot wait for her to rise first and be given her new body, her glorified body. She put off the the diseased body that took her life on this earth, but she's going to be raised again and given her new body first, and then I'm going to get to see her again in the air. Can't wait. Can't wait. That really encourages me. That really comforts me. My mom, same thing. 1995, she died in my arms, and it was really intense, and it was like the Lord knew that I needed for this to happen this way. So she's in a a coma, and I'm holding her hand, and I'm reading out of the Psalms, and and all of a sudden, you know, the the machine, the beep, 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 I hate that thing. (laughs) All of a sudden it went beep, and her her hands lifted up, and her eyes opened up, as if to be ushered into the presence of the Lord in her spirit, not her body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That was 1995. It is so encouraging to me to know that my mom is going to get her new body. I hope my dad too I don't know for sure. That was in 1994. And then I think about, and you'll forgive me, I don't want to wax emotional here, but I think about all of those that were a part of this precious and amazing church fellowship who went home to be with the Lord. And we're going to see them again too. They're going to rise first. How encouraging is that? We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Our time with you is coming to an end today, but that doesn't mean you have to stop learning from God's Word. We encourage you to read the Bible yourself. You can start in 1 Thessalonians where Pastor J.D. left off or turn to another book. Each one holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you. Are you a part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. 
A church family can be a source of support and comfort, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can serve and encourage others too, and where you can be challenged to dive deeper into your relationship with Christ. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more and get directions at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings, as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates. We also have some helpful resources, too. You'll find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there, a great way to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. That's all available at our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for tuning in today. Join Pastor J.D. next time for more right here on In Spirit and Truth.